trust in financial services has been increasing. But with trust in technology companies decreasing and the pandemic accelerating the shift to digital financial services, it's more important than ever to actively build and maintain trust. In association with MyTech, we've launched a report that explores the current trust issues facing financial services brands and how they can be overcome. Head to bit.ly forward slash digital trust report 2021 to download it now. And welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sarah Kachansky. In today's episode, we want to talk about trust, where it comes from and how to build and maintain it in digital financial services. Right now, trust in the financial services industry is rising and trust in the technology industry is decreasing. So how can we balance the two and create financial products and services that customers trust? Trust in a brand is not a one-off event. It needs to be nurtured over the lifetime of your relationship with your customers. We want to examine how brands can build that trust and grow their brand as a result. We also want to look at how technology can help with this, but also, if done wrong, hinder the process. So how can product managers, engineers, and identity providers think beyond the digital capabilities of their brand, onboarding, or verification service to the human impact as well? What is the person on the receiving end of the service thinking and feeling about their brand and their relationship with it? So to delve further into this, I'm joined by some fantastic guests. First up, we have Stephen Ritter, CTO of MyTech. How are you doing today, Stephen? I'm doing fantastic, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us. It's very early where you are, so we appreciate <laughs> you you uh, giving us the time over your breakfast. We're also joined today by Andy Moore, who is Design Director of Anna Money. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm very good, thank you. Getting towards the end of the day, so starting to wane on energy, and unlike Stephen, it's probably <laughs> raring to go. Well, I'm sure the conversation is going to be very lively, so I'm sure that will uh, that will pick you right back up. And we're also joined by Becky Danks, Product Manager at Yappily. How are you doing today, Becky? Very well, thank you very much, Sarah. Well, thank you all for joining me. Um, So we've published a report with MyTech on this topic, and we want to lean on the framework of that report for today's discussion. And we're going to look at the four areas of focus from that report, and we're going to use those to guide our, our conversation. So we're talking about being capable, being competent, being caring, and being purposeful. And those are the four elements needed when it comes to building trust. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start with capable. So the first step is to ensure that you actually can deliver products and services via apps and websites. The second is to reassure customers that you're capable of protecting their money and their data. False promises about capability will hinder attempts to get customers to trust digital interactions. So basically, you've got to do what you say you can do. Um, so, so let's start at the beginning here. So how do you how do you build a digital user journey that's that's actually fit for purpose that works? Yeah, so, so really, when when we look at it at MyTech, we're we're concerned really about two major areas. One is really having empathy for the end user, understand what it is they're trying to achieve, and uh, really get inside that and get a better uh, view on how they want various key junctures of that experience to be handled. Uh, and then the other piece to marry into that, of course, is all of the regulatory requirements and other business requirements that you might have, but kind of really blending that that user empathy with the the hard technical requirements of it is absolutely key. Yeah, I would uh, I would completely agree with that, and I think it's it's also really pertinent to remember 
that to take only the data that you you need for the next step in that journey. So when you're building a customer journey, you want to be making sure that there's a there's a value proposition for that end user and that what they want to do is equivalent to the information that you're asking of them. Absolutely. And um, Andy, did you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, I think you know what I'm going to say is kind of on the same track. But I think there's you know there's there's two angles that need to be established. One is that obviously you know setting up the right constraints from a technology and from a you know from a a sort of compliance point of view to make sure that a service is you know robust and legal and 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 does all the things the way that it should but at the same time it really helps to have that clear understanding and empathy for who you're targeting the service at what are their constraints what are their fears you know what are they trying to achieve you know and trying to find the sweet spot between kind of getting them through into a service which is you know above board but at the same time doesn't kind of frighten them or concern them um you know when they when they're using it day to day and so, so when we're talking about how you might prioritize this so if you're a business that's that's starting to do things digitally so you know you you maybe you're an incumbent you've you've had to suddenly move very quickly particularly in the last 12 months and you're you're thinking about how to design these 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 products and these services um where where do you need to prioritize so it sounds like what the three of you are saying is that there needs to be a balance but certainly what needs to be in there is um listening to the customer you know finding out what the customer's end customer's needs are what what else is there so obviously there's a technology piece perhaps something about uh culturally you know with within your own business do you have to have a rethink about how you design things you know what even about, about processes if, if you're going from old to new do you need to completely start again with those processes you know there's there's quite a lot of elements i suppose and i just wonder which ones that you think are absolutely key if i may i would just like to use yapli as an example here so yapli are a, a, an open banking technical service provider and we also are a regulated tpp And we're built for open banking and open finance, so API only. And within the open banking sphere, there's been a history um, of of kind of prior to the PSD2 legislation, there are screen scrapers and businesses who've made a lot of money on harvesting data in a way that is not necessarily secure. And if you make a design principle of your business and your product in order to harvest data in the right way via API interfaces is the most secure method. I think you can inherently provide a lot of trust to your customers and they can pass that on to their customers. So definitely, I think having an awareness of your design principles when you're building out that product and making those choices inherently into into how you're building is, is really, really important. And if you can keep that through, then you'll maintain that trust across all of your design principles. I think it's a fantastic point. And if you mirror that with kind of the same concept within the company, Right. Um, It really all depends. Every service being developed in every company starts off at a different point. Maybe the company has a lot of experience in a vertical they're building a new app for. Maybe they're a brand new up and comer, VC backed, all of that. But fundamentally, what's important, what I found very important is instilling a culture within your company, within your development, your product development organization, that we're not just doing, we're not just implementing these regulatory requirements because we want to check the box, right? Respecting the privacy of the data that we're using and collecting should be a core center or a core of the internal culture of the company because at the end of the day, you can be relying on potentially hundreds of developers and product managers to be making good decisions every day. Uh, And you really can't police that. So I think building up a company culture that truly respects the data is an absolute must have. 
Yeah, definitely. And I would just add to that, you know, I think at Anna, we've had to build a culture right from the beginning. So for those who don't know what Anna is, it's a, an app which really is an all-in-one solution for small businesses. It includes banking and invoicing and tax admin and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, the main, from a culture point of view, for us, the whole company is aligned around this perspective that, you know, our customer is is a, you know, somebody who's taken the choice to uh, set up their own business or take a side hustle and make it their primary activity. And we also, as a company, are full of freelancers and people who have run businesses and continue to run businesses. So for us, culture has been massive. You know, I mean, we look we look at technology to kind of automate and improve and streamline and, you know, reduce the friction for the customer. But culture feeds into absolutely everything we're trying to do because we, we need to really, you know, as I said before, kind of get into the heads of our customer, but talk to them in a way which is appropriate. And I think that means that we as a business have to share the same cultural values as, as our customers in that sense. And I think sort of sort of just building on that point, you know, when you're trying to design a, a, a process or a, a product, um, you obviously, you know, have have to think about the end user journey. So how's the user going to use this? How are they going to get from, from A to B? And I just want to sort of get your thoughts on, on how you balance getting them sort of simple and easy to use so people don't get tangled up with making sure you have enough to do what you want to do as a, as a, as a, you know, what you want to do and what you need to do rather, I suppose. So I think, I guess there's a question between balancing an an easy, quick user journey and the need to make sure that you have robust processes around things like AML or or KYC. So, you know, when you're asking for data, perhaps, how do you make sure that you're asking for the right amount of data, if you like, in inverted commas, which is, you know, enough to make sure that you're you're meeting your requirements, but but not so much that the customer goes, oh, for God's sake, I haven't got time to, to find my mother's third grade aunt's maiden name or whatever you know <laughs> might be might be the request requirement so I suppose you know what's what's key in your minds to achieving that balance yeah so for us we need to get people kind of signed up and into into our products and using our service as quickly as possible it's a fine balance between you know the questions that you need to have answered and the proof and the documentation particularly for business transactions that need to be in place from a kind of compliance point of view and so the way that we've approached it is obviously one key thing is that Anna is the whole experience of Anna is done through a conversation. So we've tried to make it feel as natural and as light and as easy as possible to get through the onboarding and as quickly as possible. But we also sort of stagger compliance as well. So we kind of look at what do we need? What's the basic thing that we need from you to be able to get an account open in the first place? And then through sort of further interactions, through conversation, we then start to ask questions as and when they're needed. So, you know, setting expectations, for example, that the first large transaction will need some supporting documentation. But rather than having that all provided up front, you know, we kind of set the expectation that that is going to happen. But it doesn't stop you getting started, you know. So it's all about breaking it into chunks and kind of... um, you know, giving value in the app immediately from the first 
it's almost like this sort of transaction of you give us this data, we will let you do this. You give us this extra piece of data, we'll let you do the next thing. Um, and that's a, that's a really good point where I, we're moving into part two of the podcast here, like it was sort of blending in, which is great. We're going to go on to that very shortly. But first, we're going to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors and then we'll be right back. 11FS is supported by Banking Circle. Connect to the fastest, most cost-efficient and transparent payment solution available in the market. So the next element of, of the framework is proving that you're competent. Here we talk, you know, about appropriate timing. That's essential to being considered reliable. And being reliable is key to being considered trustworthy. So that means doing things quickly where required and doing the same things well over and over again. So one of the things that is, is important here is, as Andy previously mentioned, is, is setting expectations. You know, how long is something going to take? How much documentation do I need? You know, if, if you know that in advance and it takes the amount of time you're told it's going to, then, then the provider is reliable. If they don't get back to you or they don't, you know, you just leave you hanging, that's not a reliable relationship. So, so I mean, what other things do we think that there are sort of within this idea of being competent? I mean, I think maybe perhaps there's more to delve into here about being responsive to customers' needs. So there's, there's setting expectations, but then maybe about, you know, when things go wrong or go awry. Um, Stephen, do you want to kick us off here? You're nodding. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a, it's actually a great point that, um, and I'll kind of go back to something that Andy said. I really like the idea of that conversational um, user experience because I think what it also does, um, and I'm just uh, freewheeling on this, Andy, but is that, you know, it kind of it allows your designers to really uh, have empathy and focus on, you know, what should that conversation with the end user be? What's that journey? And then it breaks up the conversation into small little stories that, you know, you can then provide the right amount of feedback, write the right amount of data. And I think it keeps the user from getting lost um, in the overall journey. And I think all of that helps to kind of prove competence, right? I think the the end user will get, you know, the, the feeling that you know what you're doing. Um, this might be really important, especially for either you know new new digital products or completely new brands out there in the market that people may not know a lot about, you know, from a, a PR perspective. Um, but but you know you need to establish that. So um, you know frequent and and consistent communication and and playing back to the end user what they just did and what they're going to do next. I think really builds that competence level and trust level in, in, in the product itself. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Yapply play a really interesting part in a product offering. We're, we're a B2B provider, so we provide open banking infrastructure for, for other businesses. And actually, front and center for us is our client and our customer, which is other businesses to help sure they can keep their customer front and center. And when they are looking at building their product services with open banking as part of it. Continuity is so important because you build trust by not just getting it right, but getting it right first time and every time. And open banking and, you know, a lot of a lot of other digital services are something which there can be great variations. You know, not all banks are created equal. Not everyone's going to do things exactly the way you want it to be done. But by us providing a level of normalization and, and really quality checking the data that we're going to be providing to our clients, we can make sure that they can provide a consistent customer experience and a consistent user journey. And when you're building a brand and building a reputation that demands trust and needs to be consistent across all of their product offerings or all of their services and all of their customers, that's really, really important. So, so definitely, I think consistency, reliability and the, the quality of your offering and getting it right first time is, is so important to building trust within a brand. 
I think your consistency point is really interesting there as well, because one of the things that perhaps when you're looking at financial services is that you do have to ask customers to do things over again that perhaps they might not expect or might not want to. So I'm thinking, got to re-authenticate yourself to, to send a larger payment, or you know there are particular rules for those who don't know around banks where you have to you have to ask a customer to re-authenticate themselves every you know set amount of time. It's just a requirement according to the, the rules, the law, and that can obviously introduce an element of, of friction. So how do you how do you handle that, and how do you make that friction a positive thing? How do you make that kind of a journey of when you're asking a customer to do something that they might might irritate them a little bit, you can actually turn it into a good thing? Andy, are, are you go first on that. Yeah, I was just going to say because we um, we've had to ask our customers to do some pretty sort of complicated things in the last year because we we had to switch our e money provider, um, which meant that we needed to move all of our customer accounts. And it was a long process and at times quite tricky for the for the customer. They would have to have a new account and an old account. Thankfully, this is all now done. But it was a really a, a challenging time for us and for our customers because we were asking them, you know, to understand a process, complete a process and understand why it's happening. So we were by migrating our customers we were trying to help the customers understand the value of acting on this requirement so even at the stage where you know we wanted customers to sort of opt in to be early adopters of the new provider so giving them the sense of what they're going to gain by making that step now and you know it's really again it always just comes back to setting expectations so you know uh, education uh, on what 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 the thing is and why we're having to do it and trying to do that in a you know a really positive friendly engaging simple way uh, setting an expectation of what the steps are and then guiding them through those steps but it it always has to be undertaken with a sense of you know what's the value at the end for the customer um and um, unfortunately in financial services there are so many of these moments which are f- which have inherent friction and the, the the real challenge, I think, for the teams is how do you turn that friction somehow into something positive? Stephen, I mean, do you want to jump in there? Because I know you and I have spoken a little bit about this before. Yeah, I'd love to jump in and um, a little context about MyTech. Uh, so we provide, similar to Yabali, we provide services to the financial services industry, specifically identity verification, typically used in an onboarding use case. So you're bringing on a new customer to your service and you need to verify who they are. I I point that out because the way we do it is by tying an individual to a government-issued identity document, which requires the end user to pull a a document out of their purse or their wallet, right? Take a picture of it and then take a picture of their face. And that could present a lot of friction, right? It is a lot of friction. However, the way that the experience is designed and the messaging around the experience we found can have a huge impact on the customer perception uh, of that experience. For example, you know, most companies, when they're collecting identity information, they're really doing it for two purposes. One, to kind of uh, reduce fraud within their service offering, and two, to protect their customer, meaning identity verification is fraud detection, but also identity protection, right? So you can message that identity protection story by letting the end user know, hey, this is why we're asking for your identity document. You're asking to do something that's quite sensitive. We want to protect your identity and all of the services related to that identity. 
and especially the financial service, your money. So we're asking for this next level of information. And I think what we found, if you, if you kind of present it in that way, maybe in a much smoother way than I just communicated it, it could actually end up being a positive and, and the consumer walks away thinking, hey, this, this service provider actually values my safety and protection. Just to um to talk about that point, um you just you mentioned Stephen. I think it's a, a the idea of kind of positive friction. I think is so interesting because there are so many points within a customer journey where financial services we have to make sure that they are who they say they are, and we have to make sure that they are authorizing and authenticating these payments via SCA rules or, or things like that. But one thing that I think we see from our experiences and also customers is that the SCA, for example, can be done. You know, you've got three things that you need to provide in order to provide strong customer authentication, something you know, something you are and something you have to any your provider. Um, having a tokenized debit card and a password is just as secure as doing a biometric authentication on a decoupled flow. But actually to a user, having a biometric way to authenticate a payment or to authorize some of the account access is so much more secure because it feels so much more personal. And I think that, that that's something that definitely when providers are building out products, should think about especially uh, financial institutions, because if you can add that layer in where they can um, authenticate themselves in a way that they feel is completely personal to them and can't be um, impeded is a is a really interesting step in how you provide good friction to a journey. I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, one of the ways you think about it are you can have active and passive moments within that journey, right? And one of the benefits of using biometrics is you can do a lot of stuff passively, right? Whether it's a voice liveness check or, you know, post onboarding, you could be doing voice uh, authentication if you already have a voice friendly journey. But an example, even is something as simple as when you're doing a selfie, right? One of the most important aspects of any biometric, of course, is the anti-spoofing and liveness detection to make sure that the biometrics actually coming from a living human instead of uh, from a reported attack, right? And there's all kinds of things you can do with active liveness checking, you know, move your head, look up and down, smile, blink, all, all of that. Um, but that's pretty, you know, that can be pretty invasive. However, uh, a completely passive liveness detection just kind of happens along the way and the user doesn't really have to do anything, right? And it makes for a very slick experience and you end up with uh, higher confidence in the outcome of the, you know, the judgment of uh, fraud or no fraud. So the, the next thing that we want to look at today and the next thing that's important is, is showing that you care about your customers, basically proving yourself as a caring organization. You, you, you need to take your customers into account as well as your business and, and you need to prove it. So we've talked a little bit about empathy already. Um, what about you know maybe reassuring customers who who are being asked to do things for for the first time in a new way? So there's making it easy for them. It's make you know it's making it technically possible. There's making sure you've got a good user journey. But how do you reach out and offer genuine reassurance to somebody who's concerned or worried about being asked to do something in a way that they've never done it before? I mean, one of the things that we have that's very helpful, uh, Anna, is we have this fairly unlimited customer service support. So when customers interact with Anna, they kind of interact part with the bot and part with real people. And it doesn't take long to transfer them from, you know, talking to the robot to talking to a human being. That helps us in a way kind of unblock people and reassure people, you know, because ultimately you've got a human being who can step in, which is great. But we're constantly looking at our customers and the different types of customers that sign up to Anna. 
and you know it's pretty obvious everyone is different and we can't necessarily treat everybody in exactly the same way so you know for example from a compliance point of view if you're a limited company with with lots of history and evidence of your business you're going to sail through our onboarding and you will have very few problems however we want to really accommodate people who are just starting out and they might be a sole trader they might not even registered yet and you know on the face of it compliance might see somebody like that as you know lacking any evidence of their business so they're they're not to be trusted but we you know we we like to trust people as much as possible so we tend to try to make our onboarding particularly as reassuring as possible but also we have a step which we recently introduced which is to kind of set expectations or help the customer set expectations with us of what they intend to do first in the app so the reason i say that is very often we find that customers sign up for Anna and then immediately try and transfer in some money and it gets blocked because we don't yet have sufficient documentation for their business. So we now ask them to prepare us for the first transaction. So basically they tell us if they're expecting a large amount of money to come in or to go out of their account and we are, our compliance team already have that flagged. So it's kind of, you know, we, we're still going to, check these things but if we have a sort of sense of transparency between us and the customer that there may be some delay but also to help us make that delay as short as possible i think this is one of the you know sort of a simple example of how you kind of build the trust you know and show that you genuinely care and you know rules are rules but we can help you get through with those rules Absolutely. I mean, I, I guess I guess the other point there is um, that you, you've kind of touched on there, Andy, and we, we've touched on a little bit here, but is there more to be said perhaps about a value exchange? So, you know, I am concerned about giving you my data. I am concerned about doing something for the first time that's new. What do you, what do you have to do as an organization to go, okay, I know you're worried. I know you're concerned, but honestly, it's in your best interests or, you know, there's something in it for you. And if you give me that data, I and I'm talking about beyond providing a service. So beyond like, we need this to give you an account, you know, really showing that there's some genuine value in there. Um, you know, how do you how do you communicate that, I suppose? Yeah, I think it's really important that you meet customers in their journey with what they want to do and it kind of harks back to that value proposition point you absolutely need to be giving them the right amount of interrogation of the data that you need for what they're looking to do but also kind of being on that journey and that process with them so an, an example I, I always really like to use is um is Klarna so Klarna are right in the sales journey on every shopping app that you can possibly be involved with right at the point of sale and actually that they're asking for quite a lot of detailed information and taking out a a significant financial product at that point but the the value proposition for a customer is completely in the moment with them and they understand that that by giving this information over and by bringing it having this relationship with Kana, they can it's not about the money it's not about the financial product it's about the item clothing or the shoes or whatever it is they're looking to buy and I think by by thinking about your channel offering as a, as a financial services provider and, and really understanding where your customer journey is. And it, it doesn't necessarily start when they download your app. Your customer journey starts when they first have a thought about what the thing they want to do is. I think you can you can you can get a lot of trust that way. Um, and, and in addition to that, I, I, one thing I would like to say is that I think when you're doing a, an onboarding journey or you're doing any sort of journey from taking out a product, 
um, people give you lots of information uh, across, a, a, as Andy was saying, across a, a whole onboarding journey, especially if that's a kind of distributed journey. And it's so, so important that you as a product provider or as a business, remember the information that they give you and display it back to them at a later date. If you can remember their preferred name, their preferred pronouns, their preferred choice of how they wish to be spoken to and show them that you know them, that will automatically build trust between the two of you and make sure that you're a preferred service provider for them. And, and that goes into, say, for example, you they start with opening their Anna Money account and then you want to offer them another product later down the line. If you've already done a few steps of that KYC journey or a few steps of that onboarding journey and they don't have to repeat them, all the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, a really good point where we can move on to the final section about kind of, you know, that that remembering the customer and, and remembering who they are and, you know, that treating them as an individual. You know, we have this about you. We know you, which takes us into the final bit, which is about being quite purposeful, I suppose. And I think this is something that's become quite trendy, but I think there is something to it, like at, at its core, which is about proving to customers that you're on their side and actually stating what you stand for. So essentially having a brand value or brand values, saying what they are and actually proving that through everything you do, every decision you make. You know, I know it can be a bit kind of like, here's our mission statement and, you know, and, and aren't we aren't we brilliant people for having this mission statement? But I think you, if you go down sort of deeper than that, it, it doesn't have to be a gold shiny mission statement that every employee can spout off by heart. You know, it, it actually has to be something about knowing what your business is and what it's there to do. And if you hold on to that, that should feed through to, to what you're, you're offering and, and, and providing your customers. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Do you think brand values are something that are, that are important? I think brand values are incredibly important. And, and I think what you were getting at, Sarah, is this idea of, you know, it's, you know, at one level, understanding the service you're providing in general, obviously very important, but really understanding, we've said empathy so many times in this conversation, right? But really understanding what it is your end user is looking to achieve, right? What are, what are their desires? What are their fears? in trying to achieve that, you know, maybe they're a day trader, maybe they're a, you know, semi serious investor, maybe, maybe they're just looking to get a new checking account, but really understanding what they're trying to do and being a champion for that activity, and then being able to tailor the experience to what they want to hear and how they want to be presented with, right? Instead of just a kind of vanilla, let's get you through the door as quickly as possible, or let's kind of get you through this activity as quickly as possible. Andy, did you want to follow on? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really important that, you know, a, the product or service kind of walks the talk. You know, I think when you kind of set yourself out with a clear purpose and, and really let that define, you know, how you design your services, how you, you know, treat your customers and, and embed it in the organization, with Anna, and I, I kind of mentioned this before that, you know, we're obviously geared up for freelancers and small businesses, but we are run and operated by, you know, people who have the same sort of level of, you know, kind of entrepreneurial spirit and care when it comes to this. So, you know, the way we see it is we're not just providing a service, but we're kind of operating as a reliable partner that's actually listening to the customer. And, it, you know, for us, customer service, as I've said before, it plays such a huge part. You know, if you compare what, what we do, which is effectively sort of almost like turning the kind of business inside out. So normally what happens with financial applications, mobile apps or whatever, it's putting up a self-service thing and hiding customer service away and even taking it away completely. So 
if something goes wrong, it's really hard to get any service to help you. And we've sort of switched it around so that you have instant access to a human being, you know, but being fully open, fully available. So the thing that we put a lot of focus on is how to like really automate all the small stuff so that we can free up agents to talk to customers about the more complicated issues. So actually the service is really there to really help people. So rather than taking away service, it's about sort of taking away the small things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, th- I think if you if you sort of transmit your values into into the, the little things, it, it can mean so much. So brand values, I think, you know, there's there can be a lot of talk about them. And perhaps in some cases, they can be more hype than substance. But Becky, do you think there's something to having brand values and making sure that you, you stick to them as an organization and, and that that can benefit both you and your own customer, particularly when it comes to building a, a solid relationship? I do. And I, I, I definitely think that there is value in keeping consistent around what you stand for and what the journey that you're going to be providing for your customers is. In particular for, for, for developing trust, I think it's super important. And I think we can all think of examples where, you know, for example, Apple have a very strong brand. They have a set design principle and way of doing things. And they've actually been able to capitalize on that. And you can now log in and you can authorize and authenticate yourself via your Apple ID in other products and services. So via an OAuth 2 or link, they've, they've provided that as their method of authentication. And so if you take that down and distill it down into what's actually happening there, a user is choosing Apple to be their passport into another service and another provision and and that kind of brand trust and brand identity is is so is is so interesting because you're choosing that brand to represent you to other people and to other companies um so i think that it is so important and by sheer virtue of the fact that we see those those kind of loops of authentication provided by companies like facebook and like apple um it means that there is there is need to that However, I do agree with you in that I think a lot of brands talk about that and not necessarily walk the walk. So you have to be careful about the, you know, really, is that what your brand is is looking for? And actually, it is very reasonable if you want to, to develop a brand on doing the exact opposite and being completely invisible and not actually being part of the customer journey at all, which is what Yappily tried to do. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And that takes us on, I think, to the final point I want to ask about here, which is actually accountability. So how important is it to be accountable for your actions? So particularly when things go wrong, because if you think you're going to be able to hide it from your customers that something has gone wrong in this day and age, I think you're living on another planet. People may disagree with me there. But, you know, let's say worst case scenario, Anna money goes down, my tip goes down and it affects your customers, Yappily goes down. What are the actions that you need to do? What? How do you need to make sure that that doesn't damage the trust because you know nine times out of ten it's not anybody's fault it's just a thing that's happened although there are occasions where somebody pulls the wrong plug out and you know we've all heard about those I think it was BT BA or BT that went out because of that anyway yeah so accountability how important is it and how do you show it I mean we had exactly that happen last year because Anna was caught up in the whole wirecard situation so we had all of our customers accounts frozen because we were using Wirecard UK as our money provider. So it was a huge mobilization of the whole company to get us through this and be able to talk to customers, reassure customers, provide financial support for customers who couldn't access funds and were in a kind of critical situation. You know, we've obviously done a lot of reflection on how well we had, we kind of responded, but 
communication was really, really important. So we were posting founders streams on YouTube. So our co-CEOs were providing updates and answering questions via a YouTube live stream. We had a kind of, uh, we sort of switched the the blog to be a, a source of up to the minute information. So it was um, it was quite an operation and, and kind of, um, you know, very, very challenging. But I think uh, the result of it, of standing up and taking responsibility and stepping in to help really um, had a very positive effect, I think, on the perception of Anna as a business that, you know, is accountable when things go wrong, you know, and proving it when things did go wrong. <laughs> uh, Becky, what about you? What are your thoughts on accountability? Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you can preempt when you think there's going to be periods of downtime, release scheduling, we obviously in the open banking ecosystem are reliant on, uh, you know, literally hundreds and thousands of providers having their APIs on all the time. And there is uh, there is obvious risk involved in maintaining a gateway that takes in all of those feeds and all of that data. Um, however, I think, you know, and is absolutely right. It's about communication. It's about timely communication. It's about preempting when you think things might potentially be at risk and, um, and communicating that out to your customers and, you know, telling them that things have gone wrong before they realize is also a really good way of kind of building that trust if, if things do happen. And, you know, we, we always try and make sure that things are the best possible quality and using the appropriate, appropriate escalation methods if, if things are becoming inconsistent. We obviously have in the open banking ecosystem, the OBIE and the SCA. And so making sure that your clients and customers know that you are championing the quality of their service in as much as you possibly can on all forums, I think is super important. And Stephen, finally, just your thoughts on accountability before we wrap up today. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting dynamic. I completely agree with what both Andy and Becky have said. Um, and I'll just point out that, you know, we have examples here on this call where both Yappily and MyTech are providing services into consumer facing services like such as Anna, right? So as as technology providers um, and data processors, right, we have to recognize both the needs of our direct customer and of their end consumer, because if my tech goes down, then that obviously has a negative impact on the services that its customers are providing to its consumers. Um, so really being able to empathize with both of those positions and ensuring that, you know, for example, one of the cultures we have at MyTech is, you know, uh, we're at four nines of service availability right now, and that's not enough, right? We're getting to five nines, not only five nines, but multiple points of presence so that our customers can choose to integrate with two different points if they want that next level of assurance on top of four nines. But really taking that to heart and building a metrics-driven operational organization around that to just, you know, keep your finger on the heartbeat of everything that's happening is incredibly important. And just as, as Becky said, you know, being able to let inform your customers about issues with the service you're providing them or even just insights, right? I think that builds trust that then gives that, that uh, service provider the confidence it needs to provide the service it's providing to its consumers. Well, brilliant. I think we've, we've explored the, the framework 
in quite a lot of detail here and I think some, some really key points have come out not least that you know empathy is a watchword for for every kind of interaction and, and so important for building trust so um, thank you all so much for joining me today um, where can people find out more about you and your your companies uh, Stephen should we start with you sure as far as my tech it's uh, mytechsystems.com to learn more about what my tech can uh, provide and if you'd like to connect with me I'm available on LinkedIn you can find me at Stephen J Ritter perfect and Andy how about you Yep. So Anna's pretty easy to find at Anna.money. And I think probably a good place to start as well is to follow us on Instagram. Again, you should be easy, easy to find us. And likewise, I'm available on Instagram. I wish I knew my handle off by heart. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you You could search for me and Anna and you'll probably find me. Brilliant. I have to say that Anna Money has some of the most amusing social media. There was a day last year where whoever was running Twitter was drawing everybody who asked an otter. And it was certainly some light relief in the midst of <laughs> the midst of what else was going on in the world. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and Becky, last but no means least, where can people find out more about you and Yappily? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Yappily is available at yappily.com, nice and simple. Um, you can also contact me at rebecca.danks at yappily.com and I'm on LinkedIn as Rebecca Danks. Perfect. Um, You can find me at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, do subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media or just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.